0: Hi, welcome to Coach Beard's Book Club. I'm Michaela, Coach Beard's assistant. Together with Andrea, Bex, and Marita, we'll be diving into the books mentioned or seen in the Apple TV series, Ted Lasso. If you love Ted Lasso as much as Danny loves giving away joy for free, then join this group of four women, handpicked by Beard himself, and let's go. back greyhounds hope everybody's doing well this time we are having another movie night because once again me and andrea were outvoted i don't know how that's possible there's only four of us but it happened (laughs) we wanted that pillow fight and we are not getting it so we watched this time the princess bride which i had never seen before and i think all of you had hadn't you
1: yeah i think that was a, a serious lapse in your education as a human
0: it it was and I don't know how I missed it because looking at the films that came out around the same time it was the age I was going to the cinema so I don't think it's it hit cinemas here or something Um, but I definitely would have loved that film at the time and I watched it three times just didn't need to for this but just loved it
2: well it was um, it was not a um, popular movie upon its release it was one of those movies that kind of came out fell dead and then slowly started to pick up a following after so like a cult following
0: and for anybody who hasn't had the chance to see it Bex you as usual have a nice synopsis for us
3: sure yes um, so the princess bride is a fairy tale adventure about a beautiful young woman and her one true love he must find her after a long separation and save her they must battle the evils of the mythical kingdom of Florin and be reunited with one another it's based on the William Goldman novel The Princess Bride, which earned its own loyal audience. The Princess Bride is both a parody and an homage to the fairy tale genre. It's a perfect blend of humor, wit, action, fantasy, and romance. It's also a frame tale or a story within a story. And why are we doing this? I mean, well, first of all, we're doing it because our book didn't come in in time to do our the the book that we wanted to do this month, right? A bunch of us are still waiting on it or just got it. We also want to know why we're covering this, where it appeared in Ted Lasso. And so the reference to The Princess Bride comes in season two, episode five, Rainbow. After Roy brings Isaac to play some pickup football in his childhood neighborhood, Ted and Roy walk down the street discussing what happened. Ted continues to try to get Roy to come back to Richmond to coach. He uses a bunch of different references from various rom-coms until eventually Roy tells him to fuck off. As Roy walks away, Ted shouts after him, as you wish. The same line that Wesley uses with Buttercup in The Princess Bride. And I just love the idea of Roy Kent as Buttercup.
0: <laughs> That's so cute. then he gives a finger as well when he's walking away. He gets oh, yeah. the last word.
3: He gets that last word in. Ted gets a lot of... Um... People walking away from him, giving him the middle finger, if we think about it, right? Absolutely. There's the guy who calls him a wanker. There's there's Beard. There's Roy. It's all over the place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I did see this week, somebody shared a picture from the makeup room, and there is pictures of all the actors. Obviously, it's their continuity shots for their makeup, and they're all given the finger. So it's just obviously a theme throughout Ted Lasso, and I like it.
3: For a show that everybody's so, like, worried about it being pure, you know, Um, I was listening to this podcast, uh, The Tripod, with the Try Guys on it. Keith was saying, yeah, you know, I watched a few episodes of it. It just, everything seemed so, like, happy and tied up after each episode. And, like, there were no, like, major problems. And I was like, oh, you got to go back and keep watching. because I get to
0: season two, buddy. <laughs> exactly. All right. So, I think it's me. I'm going to go first. All right. For our listeners, I'm wearing my crown and anchor T-shirt today. My staff crown and anchor T-shirt. And the reason I'm doing so is my piece is called The Crown and Anchor. Good Uh, reason. Yeah, exactly. It's a good enough reason, isn't it? Look, I've tied it all up. Look at me. (laughs) Uh, So in the beginning of Wesley's story, we only know him as Farm Boy, which he is called by a cold and bossy buttercup. But by the end, he is the dread pirate robber's. Buttercup, the farm owner, seems to enjoy having Wesley at her beck and call. Yet by the end of the story, she is viewed as a princess, not just because of her marriage to Prince Humperdinck, but Wesley's, but in Wesley's eyes too. Um, and I, that put me off because Humperdinck, <laughs> <laughs> it's just a funny name. You just can't help but laugh. Humperdinck. humperdinck, humperdinck. She is a princess in Wesley's eyes. So really we start with an orphan farm owner and a farm boy and we end with a princess and a pirate. And to tie in Ted Lasso to that, Rebecca begins her story cold and bitter, filled with anger and disdain. She sees Ted as no more than a tool she can use to exact revenge on Rupert and refers to him as an absolute wanker. And I did, you know what, just to put, put this in, The Scot in me does just change things to swearing, because I would have swore she called him a fucking wanker. (laughs) And I went back and watched it and it's absolute wanker, so I just, I added the Scots in.
3: Yeah, that's fair.
0: But Ted starts off in full optimism mode, taking on the mantle of Richmond's gaffer with a similar positivity as Wesley has for seeking his fortune overseas. But unlike Wesley, who always seems to have a confident outlook on his love story... Ted hides many insecurities, which is shown in his inability to sleep on the plane to London. Wesley knows what he wants and he goes for it. Reassuring Buttercup that he will return for her. Like, he's so confident about that. She, you know, He just he's like, no, I will. Nothing will stop me coming, coming back for you. But Ted doesn't really know what he wants because he's far too preoccupied occupied in trying to look like a positive person when, in fact, he's harbouring unresolved emotions that are manifesting in panic attacks. So there are some comparisons between Ted and um, Wesley taking on their journeys, but in a very different light. Do you know when Rebecca stands up for Ted in the pilot when he is getting absolutely roasted by all the press people and she sort yeah. of stands in and sort of stands up for him? That, that really reminded me a little bit of Buttercup when she was like... If, I'm, if I come home with you, Humperdinck, promise me you won't, like, kill him. You know, like, it was a, the moment of standing up for him.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think one of the other things that you can parallel between the two of them is this idea of just wanting to make others happy. Like, under different pretenses, as you said, or for, for different reasons, Wesley is, you know, the whole as you wish and everything is just to make Buttercup happy. Ted just wants to make everyone happy you know it's it's Rebecca it's the team it's Michelle at least in the beginning it's Henry it's and and that's I think that's the big difference is that it's too many people to try and make Mm -hmm. where he loses himself where with um Wesley and Buttercup it is just about her and their relationship dynamic together absolutely absolutely
2: like we when we meet afc richmond right there this team like in turmoil they're a team that's not you know they've got tons of problems they're not doing well right when we meet all these characters in princess bride they're all a mess you know that vicini guy yeah he gives us sicilians a bad name <laughs> <laughs> just never never fight me to the death guys now that you now that you've seen them you know promise I also
0: looked at IMBD and somebody like made a point of saying that the guy who played Pacini isn't actually Sicilian,
3: and I was like,
1: "Oh, no, not even a little bit, no."
3: Good to know. Mandy Patinkin is not Spanish. <laughs> not <you> Spanish. <laughs> no. no,
1: exactly, exactly. It was a weird one.
3: Yeah, but so
2: like so Ted like right, but Ted Ted is this force of kind of good that comes in, and and Wesley doesn't necessarily do that, but in a way he does. Right? He kind of, kind of, he kind of walks into the scene with this confidence that you think Ted had, right? Cause like everyone's making fun of Ted in the beginning, right? Like- absolute wine card that was that with sports center clip in the very beginning where they're you know kind of kind of mocking him but kind of being like okay whatever and i feel like he kind of wesley kind of walked into the scene and the same kind of thing like yeah like somehow he was able to chase them and you know inconceivable like that whole you know like it was it was such perfect for him to be inconceivable about everything he was doing it was just like how can he do that and i feel like wesley just kind of had this like well, I'm going to try. I'm just, you know, I'm just, I'm going to give it a, you know, I'm going to keep trying. I'm just going to keep mm. doing it. And so he was this force of good to everyone in the. Yeah.
0: The other thing I thought was like, when Ted says to Rebecca, do you have any foods that take you straight back to home? Like when he's talking about his barbecue sauce and she looks down at the biscuits and says, no. And then you can see the look in Ted's eye that he has realized that. And it, it reminded me of the fact that Wesley was quite clearly in love with Buttercup before she was with him, and sort of had a knowing look on his face, um, which you know that that sort of dynamic reminded as well. It is my belief that the pub run by me, because we cannot not mention me.
3: Your uh, your Scots your Scots accent made me think you said it was run by you, like run by me. I caught that too. That's
0: our a's and e's are so different. It's so weird. Yeah, it's it's my belief that the pub is run by me. No. So the pub's called the Crown and Anchor, um, which isn't actually the name of the pub in real life. So to me, this was written with intention because the pub is actually called the Prince's Head in real life. So why go to the effort of changing the name of the pub and having to put extra work into set pieces, etc., unless they were doing so for symbolism? And in The Princess Bride, we have the princess and the pirate, the Dread Pirate Roberts. And in Ted Lasso, we have the crown and the anchor. Now, Rebecca is clearly the crown. And I believe she is Ted's princess. All she has to do is find her true self once she's let go of her anger and fear. And I see Wesley's time as the Dread Pirate Roberts, as him becoming the man he wants to be for Buttercup. So instead of sailing the high seas to find himself, Ted seeks therapy with Dr. Sharon. And when he emerges from the other side of that journey, I am confident Ted will transition from absolute wanker to Rebecca's anchor.
3: Oh,
0: Nice. I am so proud of that. Like, irrationally, over-the-top proud of that. <laughs> We're We're <laughs> it's a good one but when i say anchor it not only represents a nod to wesley and the princess bride being a pirate and an anchor but symbolic for ted's finally grounding himself and his emotions so i do believe that the crown and anchor pub represents ted and rebecca or rebecca and ted and i do believe it is a little nod to the princess bride what do we think i like it am i am um, what's the word i was looking for Um, Am I obsessive to the point of making mistakes (laughs) or does that make sense?
1: I think it's a plausible reading. How's that? I'll take
3: it. (laughs) No, I I mean, I could see that, right. You know, like romantic or not. Right. Yes. They, they do sort of hold these positions for one another in terms of like, like you said, Ted being the anchor, but having to go on that journey to become that anchor right Mm -hmm. he 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 doesn't start out in that position and wesley starts out as this farm boy who just does everything and anything that he's told to do whether Mm -hmm. it's out of love or out of subservience or whatever he isn't himself yet he hasn't grown into himself yeah so his time on the ship is his therapy in a sense
0: i can see that absolutely yeah I think Buttercup might need to get a pair of glasses, though. Because I could tell it was Wesley. So <laughs> like, that's Wesley. <laughs> oh, well. I had no idea.
1: Yeah. See, did you I... not?
0: I did not. That man is too beautiful to mistake. See,
1: I'm completely face blind. If I see someone out of context, it could be someone I know. And if they're not in the same context, I...
0: Yeah, like if they've got a uniform and then suddenly you see them out of uniform, you're like
2: who are you well covid yeah. masks i think COVID, like right there's people that i met over covid right and only ever knew that like you know actually the my you know like my chiropractor i met her over covid i've you know never seen her face never seen her face yeah. and i was walking into her office and she had pulled it down and I, like I, it was a moment of like who are you I'm like oh <laughs>
0: there was a line in the movie as well that was like masks are great i think everybody in the future will be wearing them and i was like oh well don't you know
3: <laughs> i caught that too
1: um, I was at the Oregon Symphony does this film series every year where they show the movie and they play the score over the top of it. And this year was The Princess Bride. And when that line came on, the audience, who is encouraged to be rowdy at these anyway, the audience just lost it. It was a really good moment. It was almost cathartic how um, how the audience responded to that.
0: Yeah, and but it wasn't just me being like um cynical but i was like oh that's that's a bit too true wesley be quiet
3: <laughs> but it's very true too with the with the masks because like i have like had students in my class who have the mask on all semester and then we have like a zoom meeting and i see the bottom half of their face and i'm like that is not what i like i don't know what i pictured in my head but that is not how i saw the rest of your face and so the fact that the top of his face is covered up with the mask and the and the bandana and everything. I'll I'll give her a pass. She was in a, yeah. she was in a, I mean, she was being kidnapped. Okay,
1: fair enough. She thought he was dead, right? So she's already gone through that process of just kind yeah. of blanking mm-hmm. out her mind. And
0: being or... too harsh on poor Buttercup.
3: <laughs> I love it.
0: <laughs> but that, that's my section. And I just, I just wanted to um, really get that line in from absolute wanker to Rebecca's anchor. Because I might get a t-shirt made. It it was gold, pure gold. It was death of Tedism, right? Yes, so
3: absolutely.
0: That's it. That's my breakthrough for the whole season of podcasts. So don't expect anything else from me now.
3: That's that's it. <laughs> I love it. No, now I expect that from you every episode. So oh, get ready shit. for the get ready for the mushroom the mushroom puns here.
0: <laughs> my name is Michaela. You sent in some comments prepare to hear them bohemian sis says i like the parallels of the princess bride and beard after hours both foursomes having their somewhat separate adventures and then all quite miraculously ending up together on white horses and on limousines i absolutely love that and now back to the podcast Um, I've already completely forgotten the order that we made less than 20 minutes ago. Nice. Yep. But we're used to that. Um, I
3: I think because she put her hand up, not because I'm smart, that we are going to go to Bex now. So I'm going to be talking about Rebecca a bit more as well, but in the context of revenge. And I'm going to be looking at her in comparison to the character of Inigo Montoya. My name is Rebecca Welton. You broke my heart.
2: Prepare to suffer. (laughs)
3: i love Ooh, it. yes yes please i love it that's what it should be right that line needs to come up somehow you you listening to us writers i know you're almost done filming this season but you know
0: <laughs> there's still time for rewrites there's always time for rewrites yeah,
3: the the what is it called the a the after voice thing adr yeah
0: so maybe yeah, adi- just some additional ADR. Vo- additional i don't the thing is i know it, but i don't know what it stands for
3: it's like additional Something dialogue happened. recording? That's it. I, I just <laughs> made that up, but if it's right. No, it That's it. Okay. So basically, we know from the the moment we meet inigo or really early on anyway, that his mission is to kill the six-fingered man who murdered his father. His motivation is revenge. Rebecca's mission is to destroy AFC Richmond to make Rupert suffer. Again, motivation, revenge. We'll do a little comparison of their backstories, and then we'll we'll kind of go through their process of enacting their revenge and what happens afterward. Basically, the six-fingered man, who we find out is Count Rugen, commissioned a sword made by Anigo's father and then refused to pay for it. When Senor Montoya would not give him the sword for the lower price, Rugen killed him and left physical as well as emotional scars on Inigo, right? He's got those two slashes on his face. He also left the sword. He did leave the sword. (laughs) I not get that, but but we'll forgive it. But like, why would you leave the sword? Maybe
0: he just wanted to kill him and that was it.
3: He's a dick, so yeah. Anyway, Inigo then dedicates himself to becoming a great swordsman in preparation for the day when he is able to find and kill the six-fingered man. While he searches, he decides to work for Vizini as a mercenary. He doesn't really love being a mercenary, but it's the only thing that helps like renew his sense of purpose and keeps him from spiraling into like fits of alcoholic depression. Right. Because and we see this later when he fails to beat Wesley, he goes and he just like gets drunk and is sitting outside his house and it's, you know, not in a good state. Rebecca. Well, her her situation comes from Rupert cheating on her with multiple women during their marriage and her finding out about it. Also, you know, the fact that he was a manipulative and abusive shit. I feel like that's not what Sassy said, but Sassy would say that. (laughs) And when Rebecca found out about the infidelity, she actually was able to summon the courage to divorce Rupert, right? She didn't just roll over and take it. Rupert killed her joy and left her with emotional scars. But because there was no prenup, Rebecca gets AFC Richmond in the divorce. While she doesn't really want the team, she also does want it. If for no other reason than to get back at Rupert for how much pain he caused her. She figures driving the team into the ground is the only thing that might hurt Rupert the way she was hurt by him. I want to look a little bit at the trauma that these characters went through, right? Because I think their revenge is... um, fueled by the trauma that they faced. If Inigo is driven by revenge, you know, his revenge represents or his desire for revenge represents the desperation and the need to find purpose and meaning in the face of his trauma. So working for Vizzini is the closest he can get to fulfilling this need, even if he doesn't like what he's doing. He doesn't always demonstrate strict morals, but much of this seems to be rooted in the trauma of losing his father, right? It's like that one track mind. Is kind of keeping him from recognizing when he's sort of stepping out of bounds, morally speaking. Rebecca is also driven by revenge, of course, and her desperation puts others at risk. She brings in Ted as a joke. Of course, you know, in real life, he couldn't actually be, he couldn't actually be a football coach in England, right? Because he would have to like have coached or have some experience, but that's that's outside the fun the funness of the narrative when rebecca brings ted in she tries to sabotage him every chance that she gets right trying to hurt ted and the team is the closest she can get to hurting rupert so her breakup with rupert is her trauma or at least the surface level trauma because like there's also the loss of her friends the lack of trust and confidence in her parents and who knows what else so rebecca lies and manipulates others which, like Inigo, doesn't demonstrate any strict morals, but, again, I see this all rooted in her trauma.
1: So I'm going to talk, because the book is really hard to explain because of the way Goldman's layered it, and then he adds stuff in in later editions, right? But there is actually a section that gets added in later on, but it actually talks about the different places Inigo went to train to get his revenge. And in the process of doing that, he goes and, you know, he does all of this physical training, all these different conditions. And then he goes to train with someone who wants to focus on his mind. And the guy with the mind is making him hold very still, trying to have him sleep for hours and hours a day. And then he wants him to think about the minute, like the exact moment when he's running Count Rugen through. He's like, what are you going to think in that moment? And Inigo starts to talk about revenge. And the guy says, that'll never work. You'll be too hot headed. He'll be able to counter you. And Inigo says, I just want the pain to end. I'm thinking about the pain ending. And that's what he can actually focus on in his mind to be the swordsman he needs to do. It's it's not revenge. It's ending the pain. So I don't know. Cause I think that's definitely germane to Rebecca <laughs> because that's really what she wants to do.
3: I No, I think that, that, that fits really well because it, that, sort of goes behind, that goes into their drive for the revenge, right? Um, And how revenge doesn't necessarily work. You know, if we look at at Adonigo, again, I, I mentioned this before, you know, after he doesn't beat Wesley, he returns to his drinking in despair, Until Fezzik shows up and helps him sober up and tells him where to find the six-fingered man. So Inigo is able to get his revenge, right? He kills the six-fingered man, Count Rugen. He fulfills his purpose. But unfortunately, because it was his only purpose, the rest of his life seems meaningless to him, right? That ending the pain happened, there's nothing to fill that, that void at this point. He's not satisfied with getting the revenge. He doesn't feel complete. It's not to say that he regrets what he did. And I think this is a big difference between him and Rebecca here, but that he recognizes maybe that perhaps dedicating all of his energy to this revenge took away his opportunities for more positive experiences in his life as well. You know, I'm not sure if we can say that Rebecca got her revenge over Rupert. I mean, we could argue, yes, the team was relegated. So she achieved that, but he has yet to be fully taken down, right? We have not stabbed the Six fingered man of Ted Lasso, yet fingers crossed for season three. I don't know. <laughs> six fingers crossed. <laughs> six fingers crossed. See, you could do it. It's easy if you got six fingers. Exactly. Yeah. But even when Re- Rebecca's goal of getting revenge against Rupert at Ted's expense ends, she's not satisfied. Right. The issue for her is finding purpose within herself. And that's something she has to work on. Right. I imagine Inigo would have to as well. But of course, it's a movie. And it ends. And so we don't get to see him work on himself the way Rebecca does in season two. So I think like Inigo's journey and Rebecca's season one journey are are very much paralleled. Um, but we get to see what happens next with Rebecca. And so I want to wrap up my section with friendship, true friendship. The way Inigo looks at Physic when Physic goes to get him when he's drunk and he looks up
0: and he goes, oh, it's you. I was like, that's the sweetest thing I've ever
3: seen. And it is. It is. And like, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about is that eagle has Fezzik. He's got that friendship. But he's also got Buttercup and Wesley by the end of the film, right? And the promise of a renewed sense of purpose in becoming the new Dread Pirate Roberts. So this new opportunity opens the door to many possibilities and does not confine him to only one path. This idea of having friends who are understanding, who are caring, who are sympathetic, but who are also going to, like, tell you as it is when it needs to be done. Like, this is this is what he finds. He has a purpose. Like, yes, okay, so the next thing on his list is becoming the Dread Pirate Roberts, but that is not one thing. It's not only, like, a singular Action. It can lead in many different directions. I think Keely is Rebecca's fezic, right? She's her opposite, but she complements her very well. You know, Enigo and Fezzik are very different from one another. You know, they talk about the swordsmanship and the strength and and you know, looking at their physical size and all of this, like they are different, but they work so well together. And we see that in the scene where they're rhyming back and forth, right? that is you know hey it, physics got beats or whatever it is. bars uh, and I, bars yeah, that's it physics got bars right um you know keely helps rebecca along her journey to finding her purpose even if it's not an explicitly stated goal right it's not yes this is what keely will do it it just is part of it. And I think Rebecca also has Ted and Higgins and I'm, I'm singling out the two of them in particular because they're sort of the office crew. So they're more friends than the, the player coach and administration dynamics. Right. And so these friendships that Rebecca has, they allow her to freely and safely figure out who she is without the revenge motive driving her. Right. Each friend in both the show and the film play different roles in supporting our revenge seeking characters and help them move past that revenge. So, of course, I I love uh Andrea's Rebecca version of the quote but we got to we got to throw in the original. My name is Enigo Montoya, you killed my father, prepare to die. And another quote that I found to to wrap up from Rebecca and this sort of gives us the next chapter is I lost my way for a minute but I'm on the road back so all is not lost that's what I got (laughs) no I
0: love that that's yeah no I love the friendship aspect of it and I do feel like can I ask Shrek is heavily based on this right because when I started watching the Princess Bride having already seen Shrek and having never seen the Princess Bride there are so many like visual parallels and then the sort of friendship thing where they all come together at the end. Like Humperdinck does look like, I can't remember the name of the guy.
1: Lord Farquaad?
0: Yeah. Some of you will die but it is a sacrifice I'm willing to make.
3: Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it was like a direct one for one but I think they're both films or, you know Shrek was also a book before it was a film. Um, Did not know that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a kid's book. It's pretty cool. They're both stories that simultaneously, you know, embrace and parody fairy tales. So I think there's...
0: But there's a big friendship
3: parallel, you know?
0: They're all different, but they end up being like really good friends. And that kind of feels like The Princess Bride as well. Time for a pause for some comments from you, Greyhounds. Nick Jones has sent in several comments which are really interesting. There's a shortage of perfect breasts in this world. It would be a shame to. And Keeley saying, oh my god, Rebecca, where did you get those? He also said, all the rhyming banter is very similar between Beard and Ted and Fezzik and Inigo. And that's very interesting because Marita is about to go a little bit deeper into that for us, giving us some information from the book, too.
3: And now back to the podcast. Well, Andrea was going to talk about friendship, yeah.
2: Yeah, I was actually thinking as you guys were all talking, um, right? So I read the the Cary Elwes autobiography, and he talked about how great Andre the Giant was, and so he, I actually read an Andre the Giant biography after. I'm like, I need to do the whole crew now. Like, I need to find, you know, all the characters, find their biographies. I just I need to do the whole.
1: <laughs> this is what I love about you. An interesting parallel is how much if you read any accounts of the set of the Princess Bride, the people seem to genuinely enjoy working together, right? It seemed mm-hmm. like, you know, they enjoyed each other's company. They cracked each other up. Like it sounds like a really fun and amazing experience to be a part of. And that sounds so much like what what we hear about the Ted Lasso set.
2: So, so I have to start my section first about like I, I love I love the way that this well, actually, two things in the very beginning. First of all, um, uh, I forgot the little kid's name, Fred Savage. Or did they say his name? No. do they say just, the kid's name? He's just called no. the grandson and the grandpa. They don't have names. Yeah. Okay. Well, Fred Savage, like, clearly, it's, you know, supposed to be in Chicago. He's wearing his Bears jersey, and there's a fridge. Uh, he was one of the players back then in the 80s. So, so very much to my heart in Chicago. But the other thing is just the fact, like, Right. Like it starts out and, you know, the the kid's annoyed. His grandfather's going to come and read him a book. How annoying, like he wants to play his video game, you know? And like by the end of the book, the kid is enthralled by the magic of books. So,
3: (laughs) yay books.
2: (laughs) So then, um, so yeah, so watching this movie, um, there weren't, I didn't see any exact parallels where I could like look at a character from, Princess Bride and look at a character Ted Lasso and like really compare them, but they're definitely worth things, right? Like I think I actually kind of was seeing an ego as Ted, driven by his father's death. You know the rhyming poems, um, the not I'm not left handed. Even like some of the silly like I like even one of the silly points that I just felt like was such a Ted thing. When he's waiting to fence, you know, he's waiting for Wesley to climb up that, you know, the mountain thing there, whatever, the cliff, uh, so that he could fight him. And he's getting impatient. He's like, I'm not good waiting for things. And he literally has just talked about how he's waited 20 years (laughs) or whatever to like, (laughs) right, like get this revenge. Like, it's, I don't know. I just felt like there was some things about him that just kind of felt Ted-like to me in that sense.
3: I could see that.
2: Yeah. And actually even thinking about some of the stuff you were talking about, the drinking and... You Know, like, maybe some of the like pit of depression that an ego went into is kind of Ted like. Wow, yeah, yeah, Mandy has a
0: close friend like Beard who could be like Andre. like, um... yeah, yeah.
2: Well, no, I, I definitely
1: see the Ted Beard um parallel there. And we had a, a reader, and Michaela, I know you're gonna come in and help me out with this, who pointed out the the Ted and Beard rhyming with the physic and ego rhyming. And so the book is much more explicit about that, but that's actually how Fezzik deals with his anxiety as he rhymes. So mm-hmm. Inigo doing that with him is like a real sort of sign of their friendship that he's helping to calm him down. And you can sort of see that because we lose the rhyming after Ted starts to settle in, right? Yeah. It's
0: so sweet, though. But Oh, that just made the film ten times better just knowing that fact.
2: Yeah. The, you know, then even Wesley had a Ted moment, I thought, when when they're in the... um. What is it called? They're in that forest with the R-O-U-S-S and the sand the and stuff. The lightning swamp.
0: The swamp lightning. The fire, lightning. fire swamp. The fire swamp. The fire, swamp. Yeah, fire swamp. lightning.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, and Buttercup's like, you know, we'll never survive. And Wesley's like, nonsense. You only say that because no one ever has. Like, I just like, yeah, Ted would total like, yeah. You just say that because no one's ever done it. You know, like, that's such a Tedism. So uh, there were a lot of these little moments from different people. But, you know, but if I was to really kind of think about it, I actually, you know, I would kind of rest on my Anigo as Ted thing if I, yeah. you know, looked into that a little bit more, but I didn't. <laughs> so <laughs> that's the end of it for this. But um, I, yeah, I, I was kind of thinking more about the friendship, and so like that was where I saw a lot of the synergy and how they needed each other to do things to succeed, to do better. You know, the team needed each other. Uh, Fezic and Anigo and Wesley all needed each other in order for them each to kind of get the things that you know each of them had a goal here. Um, alfesic really didn't he was just there to help right but he was helping them kind of achieve the things that they these goals that they had and stuff like that so there was a lot about this kind of friendship thing and so you know that they needed each other to that they need each of them have brought their own part into the um their own talents in the situation in order to win much like a team that's why you have the different right the different players and the different like yeah. us like us like us yes. <laughs> Yay, friends. <laughs> exactly. Another comparison, definitely like Vizzini and Hubbard Inc. were definitely uh, two people in charge who ruled by fear, lying, deceit, um, you know, which is very, yeah, very much Rupert, you know, Rupert, Nate, at the end of season three, Rebecca, in the beginning of season one, just kind of like these people like manipulating in order to get what they want. Like, I definitely think Rupert and Rebecca, which Rebecca clearly learned that from Rupert that very manipulative yeah thing and then vincini felt a little bit more like nate to me um you know demanding things from people felt he was smarter than everyone he knows better than everybody he doesn't need anyone else
0: using the wrong words for things like wonder yes. kids and inconceivable
1: pressure makes diamonds or pressure makes pearls sorry i just used the wrong word yeah. look at me yeah. you know. get <laughs> up.
2: All right. So, th- so there was a lot of that kind of comparison to, um, and like all of those people also affected our teams. Right. So like, again, yeah, Vassini, like he, I mean, the way he talked to Fezzik and Inigo was horrible, you know, and he was holding them down and they, and they did have that, you know, they, yes, they did have that thing with each other where they would kind of try and pick each other up, which I do actually feel when you look at the, AFC Richmond team in a way what I think it, who was the little crew wasn't it like Isaac Colin and they were Jamie Nate yeah. yeah they were always yeah and Jamie they were always kind of poking fun at Nate and like that was kind of their that was their release of the pressure they were feeling and so yeah so like AFC Richmond was a team that was used to being ruled by this kind of a leadership and like there wasn't you know maybe there wasn't a specific Ted uh character in Princess Bride, meaning, like, someone who came in, like, this is kind of what we were talking about before in your section, Michaela, even though there wasn't, like, this kind of person that came in that changed everything, Wesley was kind of that person, you know, he, he made people think of things differently. Um, I think, you know, he definitely came in with his own set of baggage and his own things going on, but, like, you know... He inspired Buttercup. He inspired this this group of people. And I think that kind of like, I, so I feel like Wesley in some ways was that kind of element coming in to change everything. But kind of like once once those people, once the, you know, Vincini is gone and Humperdinck is kind of, I mean, he doesn't really go to the very end, but like definitely when Vincini has gone, like everyone's kind of able to kind of grow on their own, which I feel like, right, once, once Rebecca gets rid of that, you know, Liam and Noel, the Liam and Noel guy, <laughs> I
0: love that it. it's known as the Liam and Noel guy.
2: I mean, obviously, like I said, Ted definitely comes in and makes a difference, but like at the same time, it's like, you know, once that kind of evil element was removed, it inspired, like they were able to kind of think better among themselves and like come up with their own, right? Like be able to like work together. and They flourished. Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
0: which is also a pun because that's a fencing term.
3: <laughs> Look at me. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> So, I just had yeah. a thought. I, I don't. Maybe this isn't the place for it, but like, I'm just thinking about the setup of this story. You know, the film, The Princess Bride, and the Fire Swamp, and Ted's line of fairy tales don't start in the dark forest, nor did they end there. Mm. And that's like literally smack dab in the middle of the film. Wow, mm-hmm. right? it's true. That's also, but
1: that the Princess Bride is very much parodying also fairy tales right and do that things like into the woods right it's got the dark forest right in the middle of it which is also parodying fairy tales so yeah that
3: sure sure but like it's just it's so perfectly in the middle and it really is like it has a very in in the the princess bride and in many fairy tales themselves it has a very distinct beginning and end of being in that spot so like i don't know if how that ties in with like all those friendship journeys and stuff. But like, it definitely stuck out to me, Andrea, as you were talking, it like occurred to me. And I'm like, I don't know how this fits in, but I I just had to share it.
2: (laughs) No, I appreciate that. Yeah, I love it. And so, yeah, so, you know, and again, like it was one once kind of everyone was left on their own devices, like each player character had their part to play that they figured out, you know, and in- the Inigo, um, Wesley and Fezzik had to work together. Jamie maybe has a bit of Wesley in him, used to being the hero, um, but he needs the rest, of, you know, he needs the rest of his team to win. It isn't just him, you know, and I even think the way that like Fezzik and Inigo initially are talking about Wesley is like, you know, hey, we need him. Like he's going to be the one that's going to, you know, like he can take down 20 men and like he really can't. He just he does have some, you know, Wesley does have a different way of thinking of things in a Ted like way. Right. Like has a different way of thinking of things. And so he comes up with ideas of how to get past these 60 men. Right. And it wasn't that he could fight 60 men off on his own, even though that was initially what Migo was saying. And I felt like as their relationship grew, that's when they all kind of started to realize the role that each of them played and how, how important they were and how they, they were each bringing something. It wasn't that there was this one guy, Jamie or Wesley, this one guy who can do everything. It's no, he needed everybody. And, and, you know,
0: yeah, because Wesley was literally incapacitated. So even with all those good ideas, if it wasn't for, for um, Fezik and, and Ego, then fuck all. It wouldn't have
2: happened.
3: And we have the episode Two Aces. So you know that Jamie isn't meant to be the only one as well, right? That that it True. is all about the team.
2: Yeah. I was just gonna say, and then like, who starts to shine once, you know, who really starts to shine once all this happens, you know, it's Sam, right? Like, you know, and and each player starts to kind of find their place. And I think even Roy, like, kind of realizes, I think he was kind of settling into right on his own kind of greatness, that he didn't need to really try. And once he kind of starts trying and realizes his part on the team, and what he can help them with, he he kind of also has this moment of like, um, I don't know what to call it. This kind of like emerging out of, you know, emerging out of a slump and doing great things.
3: His butterfly moment.
2: Yes, yes. So yes. Yeah, so I guess it's just yeah. I, I thought that the movie there were there were you know, and, and I do feel like yes. I think what you guys were just saying about the fact that like Princess Bride is very much a fairy tale narrative. Uh, they have said about how that this is kind of that we're in the dark forest. That this is a you know a metaphor that it's following this hero's journey. All of that, like I feel like, in like you can't help but compare these two things, even though there's not a ton of comparisons. But it is they are all are all falling into the, all those different things, like the dark forest here in the middle, and the you know who is who is the the you know who who's going to be the hero who's the one that's coming to save the day who you know what are the characters that the women are playing like all this kind of stuff that's you know i think been being made up like i'm re- you know of course obviously very excited to see what season three is going to bring i think there's a lot that we want it to do <laughs> so it has a lot of work ahead of it but I mean each season has been pretty powerful so I'm not worried that it's not going to be able to finish the things we want it to but at the same time yeah I mean just obviously I can't wait for it so uh yeah so I I feel like the friendships are the strong point the thing that they're the the message that they were trying to say about how they all needed each other and it wasn't just about Wesley being this great person it isn't just about Jamie being a great player it isn't just about Ted being you know this kind of force for good or like inspiring people or Rebecca inspiring people or, you know, going to every different character of Ted Lasso. It's not any one of their stories, you know? And I think even Nate, right? Nate has his place to play and we hope he comes back. And like, I don't think we should, you know, blacklist him, right? Like, yes, he's made a mistake, but he's part of the team too. And he is, you know, we need him back. We need him back on our team.
0: Yeah. I like what you said about there not being like right parallels, but, what I would say is is to quote Beard, the Princess bride and Ted Lasso felt same but different. You yeah. know, it's got the same kind of vibe, even though it's not the same kind of story.
3: Yeah, the energy, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Agreed. It is the friendships we made along the way. It is. It is. Yeah. Like us. Like, <laughs> like us. us. Time for a pause for
0: some comments from you, Greyhounds. Rachel F. says, what if Sure Thing Boss is Ted's As You Wish? Ooh, interesting. Liz says that Ted Becker stands be like, fetch me that picture. As you wish. Love it. And now back to the podcast.
2: All right, Marita. This is
1: going to be fun. Okay, are you ready?
2: (laughs) Bring it. Hell yes.
1: As I do, I went back and, and read and did some extra stuff looking into The Princess Bride. And I won't say there's no literature on The Princess Bride. I'm, I'm surprised that there's not more literature on The Princess Bride, especially given Goldman's stature as a, a screenwriter um, and as a novelist. Something I thought was really interesting is if you look at Goldman's resume... The Princess Bride is so different than so much of the other stuff he did, right? He won the Oscar for the screenplay for Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Um, And then, you know, he he was writing novels. So he wrote The Princess Bride and he wrote Marathon Man, which got turned into a film really quickly. And it's funny because I was saying on Twitter that I was going to do the watch a film for background on this episode and and (laughs) really confused some people because they assumed i meant the princess bride but i went back and watched marathon man which if you haven't seen it is amazing it's so good um he wrote the screenplay for misery and he did the screenplay for some other stephen king stuff too so it just really outstanding range in terms of what he could write but write really well like he just has such uh a knack for how to build tension and dialogue and and when not to use dialogue like he was really really good that was a really fun opportunity to dive into some of the films he wrote too so looking at the novel in comparison to the film and then we'll pull ted lasso into this in a minute so both of them use a framed narrative right where we have this story that's going around the main part of the action that sort of changes our perspective or is used for commentary on the actual on, on the action that's taking place So the film's narrative is of Peter Falk, the grandparent, and he's reading the story to his grandson, Fred Savage, when he's sick. And that's sort of in the novel's frame, but it's really, really very different. So the frame for the novel is Goldman writing as a fictionalized version of himself. He's made himself into kind of a a stereotypical Hollywood asshole, um, (laughs) which is kind of fun. So he writes himself as a screenwriter. Uh, But he's in a failing marriage and his wife is fictionalized and different than his actual wife, right? And he has a young son who he's struggling to relate to. And Goldman had daughters. I don't think he even had a son, right? So he's got this fictionalized family. In, In the novel, in the frame, when Goldman... I'm making air quotes here for our listeners, was a child of 10. He was severely ill with pneumonia and his father, who was an immigrant who was barely literate in the description. And and I have to make clear here that Goldman writes himself as such an asshole. He's so shitty to so many people. Reads him the book, The Princess Bride by this fictional author called A. Morgenstern, right? And so he fell in love with this book and then we move forward in time and he's in LA doing screenwriting work. His wife and child are back in New York and he's in the middle of this scene where he's there's a starlet who's hitting on him at the pool and he's about to cheat on his wife when it occurs to him or he has a phone call with his wife and it occurs to him his son's 10th birthday and because this book the princess bride was so meaningful to him to him when he was 10 he has to find it for his son but it's out of print so he goes through this whole thing of finding it at this rare book dealer has it sent, like sends his lawyer to go pick up the book take it to his son And then he comes home and he's at dinner with his wife and kid. And he's like fat shaming his kid because like, seriously, such a dick. (laughs) The way he writes himself, it's amazing because it changes the frame so much, right? And he asks the kid how he likes the book because it was just this amazing, amazing thing to him when his dad read it to him. And his kid is just politely like, oh yeah, it was great. And he starts asking him questions and it's very clear the kid didn't read the book. And he's so upset. And he goes through and reads it and he realizes that, when his dad read the book to him, he was only reading the best parts and he was leaving out all of this other stuff, all of this history, all this stuff that was meant to be like, you know, like pages and pages of royal history and minutiae about royal events. I, at some point he compares it to like the wailing parts of Moby Dick, right, that don't really drive the story along. There's just all this detail. And so the whole conceit of The Princess Bride as written by Goldman is that he is just abridging and putting all the best parts that Morgenstern, again air quotes, wrote uh, in order to make it more interesting and bring it to a modern audience. Um, and so it's it's really kind of funny that the, the frame is so different there, and the asides that Goldman has are so different than what we get from Peter Falk and and Fred Savage. It's really interesting to see how the frame changes depending on the format of the work. Right, when Goldman wrote it as a novel, it was very much meant for adults to read and sort of see the the sweetness and the fun and the fairy tale. But the 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 frame part of the narrative is just so cynical, right? And it's so um, it's so much an adult novel in a way that if you read that novel to a kid, you'd have to cut out all the Goldman parts, basically, um, for a kid to be interested in it. You can sort of see a comparison there because when we have the original Ted, right, the Ted from the NBC Sports commercials versus Ted in the show, it's they're, they're the same character, but they're so amazingly different. Yeah. And just as I don't think the movie would have worked at all if he'd have kept that original narrative frame, I I just even even in the '70s when it was written, I don't think that frame would have worked, right? Ted Lasso is presented in the NBC commercials, the sports commercials. It'd be funny as a skit. It would not be funny as a show. It wouldn't have any staying power. It wouldn't have any gravitas. It wouldn't be great.
3: Yeah, I don't think I could have kept watching. Like, it was fine for what it was, but... Right. He was
0: supposed to be unlikable. To, not unlikable, but he was supposed to be, you know. Oh, he was supposed to
1: be a jackass. I mean, yeah. he was. He's he's the standard oh, American football coach coming in and not knowing anything and acting like, he, like the Dunning-Kruger poster boy, basically. I thought that was really fun. I love how both Ted Lasso and the, the Princess Bride love playing with tropes, right? They take things that you see in this standardized form and sometimes they give you exactly what you're going to expect to see happen, but sometimes they twist it around and, and throw it, like back in your face like I agree with a lot of people that they're definitely signposting a Ted Becca resolution to the show but based on how much they're willing to play with things I'm not a hundred percent convinced that they're going to put it as a romance it might and that I have no doubt they can write it very well to end up that way I just I, I think that they mess around with tropes and Ted Lasso enough that I I don't think we're guaranteed to get that resolution
2: Right. Like it's interesting. Like I see all the time, like on Twitter, like people will just be like, Look at these facts. Like, look at the like I'm gonna list for you these things that happen that prove without a shadow of a doubt that Ted Becca is endgame. And I read them and I'm like, Well, like they're not, and they could be twisted in other ways. And like I could sit here and list, you know, all the things that could mean something else. Right. And I think that's the genius of Ted Lasso is that it it's he's giving us all these different things you're right he's messing with the tropes so much that it's like it's funny when people are like you know because i I think it's easy if you have this idea that you want this thing to happen it's very easy to convince yourself oh yeah it's so easy with with all the the facts that are coming out of the show but well like (laughs) me with Colin, perhaps
3: (laughs) Well, I was thinking of myself and and Supernatural and, like, everything I saw there because I wanted to see what I wanted to see. And, I mean, we saw it so much that we eventually got the writers to, to write it in, but...
0: I think they were scared of you lot. Yeah. <laughs> they were like, we better write this or move to, like, another... Well, maybe yeah. that's
1: why Ted Lasso is ending after three seasons. They're like, if we go past this, people are going to be, like, stalking us.
3: Yeah, you don't need 15 <laughs> seasons, trust me. <laughs>
1: But yeah, but I agree. I think I think Ted be- Becca is signposted, but I also think there are enough other things in there that you could build multiple conclusions. And when you got to them, be like, okay, that made sense because they built this in. I love that. I, I love that they give those sort of options in there, those red herrings, that sort of thing. Whatever is going to happen, like, it'll. I think it will make sense, but it won't necessarily have been the most predictable outcome. And I, and I love that. Um, something else that really stood out for the no- novel is you know i i don't even know how many times i've seen the film and i'm actually a little sad for you that you've made it this far into your adult life without having seen it before michaela so i'm super glad that we could remedy that
2: i've watched it three times now so i'm catching up i'm catching up i'm really proud of us that we were able to affect michaela's life in such a positive way
1: exactly feel good about it um, but how direct from the novel the dialogue in the film is! It is so there is hardly any memorable line in the film that is not word for word in the novel, and I think that shows a lot of things. I mean, partially just Goldman's talent as a screenwriter is he he knows how to make dialogue pop.
0: I have a favorite. I have a favorite line that I saw that was like, "Life is pain, and anybody telling you otherwise is selling something."
1: And so this is actually, I was going to talk about this. So this is really cool. So We are vibing. That's in the novel, but it's in part of the novel that gets cut out. So it is Fezzik's parents train him from a young age to be a wrestler so they can make money off of him. And when he doesn't want to do it because he's like a gentle kid, right? His mom tells him that. It's not a line Wesley uses, right? But Goldman, I think, recognized how good a line that was and just pulled it across. I also think it's really funny because we've got the the novel where the whole conceit is he's shortening this down to make it palatable for kids and then to make an actual film that's more palatable for kids than the novel would be there's a whole bunch more cut out so the novel's supposed to be the good part of this fictional original novel right but then the movie's the good parts of the good parts and i just think that's this funny meta recursive sort of thing that maybe i'm the only one who's going to dork out about that but i
3: you think there are some some specific lines that are used in the Ted Lasso commercials that are absolutely pulled across into the show in different contexts. And and they work so well in the new context because of how carefully they constructed the characters and the roles in this new setting.
0: How many countries are in this country?
1: Headed, yeah, there's how many countries are in this country? There's the thing about the offside rule, the not understanding about ties, that we're going to play hard for all four quarters. There is so much of that there that's built into the character that they figured out, like, they have a very good ear too. They know this worked. And so they recontextualized it. And when they recontextualized it, you know, a a big difference between The Princess Bride and and Ted Lasso is The Princess Bride, when they brought it across, the characters are pretty much exactly who they were. It's interesting in The Princess Bride, the novel, because the way Goldman writes it, Florin was a real place, right? it, It is a real place with a real Um, a real location, people visit it, he goes and visits it at some point, I don't remember. So the version I read was the 30th anniversary edition, and it gets really hard because it gets so meta because it's got the intro he wrote for the 25th anniversary edition, and then the 30th, and then this other... "Quote unquote" fake chapter he wrote for Buttercup's Baby, which is the sequel, and he brings in all these real people that fictionalized versions of them. Like he has this kind of argument with Stephen King. Um, it's it's hard for me to keep track of what was where because of the structure because it's it so sounds
3: like a fever dream. It, but it's it's. It gives me Vonnegut vibes in a weird way, too. It is. Well, and, you know, it was just like,
1: it it is worth reading. Um, It is, it's a fun read and it's got like everything you love in there, but it's just got this whole other context that you're like, wow, you make yourself out to be a dick. I love it. (laughs) Um, but so the, but the characters when they come across with the exception of changing who the the narr- narrative frame is right the 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 fundamental characters in the adventure are basically identical right they are who they are they say the same things they say and in fact there's not i think the only lines that come into the film and this is probably unsurprising. The only lines that come into the film that you can't find in the novel are some of the uh, riffs that Miracle Max has, right? I think that was just Billy Crystal going off, which is brilliant. It's
3: I'm funny. pretty sure that was. That that scene was, was improvised between him and Carol Kane, a lot of it.
1: Well, her, no, her dialogue is all in there. And I mean, the dialogue is so exact, down to uh, the priest performing the marriage uh, the way his accent is written, that Malwedge, that's that's written out f- phonetically in the novel, right? That's like unchanged. Um, it's amazing how intact the dialogue is. I, I don't know that I've ever seen that in a novel to to film translation.
2: When I got married, my husband asked the like we were joking around, and he asked the guy because we went went to city hall and asked him to go Malwedge, and he did. Oh, that's <laughs> oh, lovely. That's so I, I love sweet. that so much.
3: We stand. Hugh, we stand.
1: (laughs) Love you. So in taking the the novel to the film, right, the characters stay intact, but recontextualized Ted is, he's still very USA centric. He's still very kind of wide eyed and doesn't know a lot of things, but the jokes hit really differently because they've added in that curiosity and his willingness to learn. So he's no longer like an arrogant dipshit. Uh, And he's a much more sympathetic character. I don't, like I said, I don't think they could have built that into a show if they had not fundamentally changed who Ted is. Uh, And I I think that's a really interesting change. I also think looking back at the novel, there's a really interesting parallel because of the frame narrative. We have this guy whose marriage is failing and he's struggling to connect with his son. And I think there's some interesting parallels to ted there um especially when we think about how we edit and present information both about our world and our lives or any story we tell right we change how we edit and how we share that information based on what our audience is and so you know we've got the novel that's the good parts of this original novel and then the movie is the good parts of that i think one of ted's fundamental seems a little bit mean because really the the flaw in who he's hurting with this is he's hurting himself but ted tends to really edit his life in terms of what he shares with people so that he doesn't let people see his emotions and see that he's sad right he edits so that they only get happy and i think it's uh even as his marriage is failing you know i i think they, to a limited extent, show his struggling to connect with his son. But you certainly see it in, like, the Carol of the Bells, where he gives the the high-priced, right, hubris sort of gift, gives him the drone, and he immediately runs off. Um, but that idea is, is definitely there. But we also see Ted connecting with people better when he starts sort of changing that narrative frame and changing what he lets people into and letting people see. And it even gets addressed kind of explicitly towards the end of season two in in his speech to the team, when he admits to them that he had a panic attack, that every choice is a chance. Um, so I think that's a really interesting, like how things are framed makes things really interesting. Something also that is really interesting about um, the novel and how it ends being different from the film, the film is very much a fairy tale. They have a happy ending, they're on the white horses and they ride off into the sunset, right? So in the novel, they do ride off on the white horses, right? It, like I said, the 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 dialogue is is directly ripped from that, but then it goes on because realistically, you know, Enigo got stabbed quite badly and is very, very badly injured in his duel, right? And, and that's true in the novel too. They didn't kill Humperdinck and he's not the kind of guy who just would go, oh yeah, whatever, <laughs> right? So he's got his whole army and he's pissed off and he is coming after them. The pill that brought Wesley back to life in the novel is explicitly a short-term pill. So Wesley's about to keel off again. And so they're writing off and they're trying to escape. And it does, but it ends ambiguously. It's not clear that that's going to happen, right? They've made their initial escape, but what what happens is not super clear. There is, when we were talking about um, lines from the film that were very Ted lines, uh, there is one that is said as they're writing off and trying to figure out if they're all going to be killed or not, where Buttercup is talking to Wesley and and kind of discussing this, well, how long will we be together? Because Wesley's talked about he's already died once. And he's like, well, we will just make promises to each other to outlive each other. Um, and because they've promised that, then, of course, like neither of them can die. And that's such a Ted thing to say, it feels to me. Uh, also completely, of course, unrealistic. And like I said, not clear that anything is going to go well when you have that. When you take the frame and you expand it out, because there's nothing in the film that counteracts what happens in that ending in the novel they just end it at the sunset right there's nothing in the film that says that that doesn't that everyone ends up happy we just take it as implicit and i think that comes back to the point we we're making is i think what happens in the end of ted lasso there are so many things signposted and just so many different frames you can take to look at it uh, that's why I think we don't know, right? Depending on how we zoom, depending on the perspective we get, we could have a romance that fails. We could have all sorts of things. Um, so I think I like that ambiguous ending in the novel. I hope that's what they do with Ted
3: and Rebecca's relationship. I know that, that would a lot of people would hate that, but I want it left ambiguously. I love that though, because it allows for people to then make their own interpretations. With, there is fan fiction galore and people are going to take the story in whatever direction they want anyway and if you leave it open so that people can write their own endings they can write the happily ever after they can write the failed love they can write the soulmates's like platonic soulmates you know it, it it can go any which way and and i think that's the it's kind of like the ending of the good place yeah so if yeah. anyone in who's listening has not seen the good place you know at the end it is very open-ended like you go through these seasons and and they knew where they wanted it to end and how they wanted to end and it worked so well and I think they have been so careful with the writing of Ted Lasso that we will get something I I have I have confidence that we'll get something satisfying even if it is open-ended you're right like you know um
2: the open ended would be good. And like, that's what life really is. And it doesn't mean that it's happy or sad, right? Like life goes on. That's the whole point of life and life is pain and life is pain. <laughs> <laughs> life sucks. And then you die. That's right. right. Okay.
3: We just took that in a very different direction. <laughs> Have they lived happily ever after life sucks. And then you die. <laughs> we got there. No, but yeah, it can be any and all of those things, right? And it is any and all of those things at any given point. So yeah, open-ended, ambiguous is, you know, there's this YouTube guy who does videos that um, he sings about like what happens after the happily ever after in Disney princess movies. (laughs) And, you know, it's just like, what happened to cinderella after they rode off in the carriage and you know what happened to to jasmine and so like there's a lot of that hey we we stop at the happy point and we don't think like and that's the same thing that happened to me with the princess bride having not read it and i didn't read the the pill being temporary in the film i don't know if that's
1: it's there's some stuff that if if you see it in the book you might pick up on like, oh, that's where that came from in the gotcha. film. It's like Fezak's Holocaust cloak is explained in the book, right? He doesn't just, it's not Deus Ex Machina like it is in the movie, where it's like, oh, I yeah. got one of those, right?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean like watching that film like as a kid and even now, it's like, oh, yay, happily ever after. That's great. But what happens after that happily ever after? And so if we get a happily ever after, with a concrete ending for this show you can still take it in other directions afterward and 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 life doesn't end there there isn't the end right off in the sunset in the in the horse-drawn carriage right you resolve
1: some problems you get new problems Mm
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Surprise.
1: (laughs) Um, right so th- so that is is what I wanted to touch on. And I think we, you know, hopefully wrapped up really nicely with the end of the film and the novel and talking about the end of Ted Lasso. And again, I don't mean to be hypercritical of anyone because I understand how invested people are in the relationships and really want to see Ted Becca. I just, I really respect the writers on this show. And I, I do think you can find textual evidence to support a number of different conclusions. And I I, I love that about the show.
3: Yeah. The only Grace. thing they need mm-hmm. to do is make Colin gay. That's the only thing that I required.
0: They don't have to make him gay. He's already there.
3: There we go. He is. But yeah. I would, I would like that explicitly stated in this season.
0: That's the only thing that I must admit I would be pissed off if I didn't. Yeah. So I can kind of relate to the the people who are really want Ted Baker because if I didn't get my Colin storyline, yeah, I'm, there's going to be a fucking problem.
1: So well, you yeah. you have to know how cognizant they are of the issues especially given you know how big into the world cup brendan hunt is and knowing Mm -hmm. that there are i mean cutter has a a number of issues right um that that have come to light because of this but the treatment of folks in the lgbtq community is is a big one and I don't see how I, maybe they won't but it just seems like such a natural fit for season three as a story arc to go through so when yeah. we see the opening of the the first episode of season three and it's Colin we'll know we'll know that's the journey
0: and I know that it wasn't something that just like a retro um con like retcon. I know it isn't I know it was
2: there from the start Yeah, I, think felt
1: built in. I don't think that would be a retcon
2: heavy subtext heavy subtext that's in text like right like people talk about subtext i don't even know if it's sub
1: grinder is the the reference to grinder is not subtext no
2: exactly <laughs> and everyone looks at him i know like what's so weird about that nothing wrong with that go call them mm-hmm. get yourself some and they don't need to even make it be like he comes out like it's just there one day that's what i would like like yeah
0: I feel like, unfortunately, because of, like, sports, and especially, I don't know what it's like over there, but, like, here, there's quite a lot of, like, homophobia in
3: oh, men's yeah. sports. It needs to be it needs to be as explicit as the therapy line was, I think. Uh, I, yeah. I
1: agree. I, and I think they need to show how people support him with the press. because Yes,
0: and make it realistic. Let's, you know, I, I, I know yeah. Ted Lasso likes to keep things positive and make things nice, but... They're, you know, gay footballers go through some fucking shit, and it would be mm-hmm. nice if they kind of represented that. So, okay, so that was really good, and I, I felt like we really were vibing today. So, thank you for introducing me to the Princess Bride. I, the last time I watched it won't be the last time I watch it. Put it that Yay. way. That's how much I enjoyed it. It was so good. But Andrea, and I think I might know what's coming up next because, you know, we discussed it last time and couldn't get the books, but usually I
2: don't. What is coming up next? The Mushroom Book, also known as Entangled Life.
1: Nice. By Merlin Sheldrake. So is
0: that going to teach me how to make a pot of Jane's tea or? Yes. I
1: hope so. (laughs) I really hope so. I I don't think he shies away from the hallucinogenic effects of mushrooms. I think that's explicitly addressed in the book.
3: Yes, very excited. I you know I was disappointed we couldn't get to that book this month just because I'm really looking forward to to switching gears I think. Um but this was a nice like break in between, so. Mm-hmm.
1: And and I have to say I haven't I haven't yet read the whole book but as far as I am into it I think you'll like the I think you'll like it because he is one of those academics who is just so dorkily and gloriously into what he's writing about like is this fun and wonderful amazing for him does it Um, read
3: like bryson at all
1: oh a little bit Um, i mean like in
3: that narrative combining the narrative with the like science yes yes it's
1: definitely at least so far narrative driven i would say that but it's yeah um he's just like one of those people who is so excited about this niche thing he's doing and it's yeah it's it's i enjoy
0: that i i do enjoy like when somebody's really passionate about something it's so much easier to learn from them so i'm looking forward to it too
2: go science go mushrooms go mushrooms
3: (laughs) go books it's the best of all the worlds. it's like marita's dream (laughs) world Well, thanks again, Greyhounds,
0: for joining us. And we look forward to speaking about Entangled Life. We'll see you soon.
2: Bye. 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 Follow us on Twitter at Beards Book Club or send us an email at coachbeardsbookclub at gmail.com.
3: Subscribe to us on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Share us
1: with your friends and family and leave a five-star review.